What are your favorite monsters from TV or movies? No video games. Oh, yeah, you you can do video games. Okay. Oh, the obvious two that jump out are the alien from Alien or the Predator from Predator. Oh, the Predator is so fun. Yeah. Those... Those, yeah, those are those are some great monsters. I like the idea of having a uh, alien that is hunting and is is better at hunting than you will ever be. Yeah. Mm, yeah. The movie Predators was actually pretty good and it was like when they I go agree. to the, get to go to their planet and like you kind of see kind of the, their whole sport aspect of it and like the competitive nature of their hunting down of of other races. I actually ran Ooh, a yeah. D&D adventure kind of based on that. That was it turned out just as surprisingly good as the movie. Well, I think it would be sad if we didn't mention the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. <laughs> that old yeah. I mean, yeah. those are some just great Hollywood monsters, essentially. I mean, we don't they're see not them monsters, here. They're animals, David. <laughs> we don't see them here today, Dr. at Grant. least. True. I really like the monsters from The Last of Us. It's sort of oh, a twist on a zombie apocalypse. Yeah, because yeah, it was really interesting, but the thing was really disturbing was its plausibility in the natural world. Because it could happen. Oh, the cordycep virus. The cordycep yeah. virus, yeah. Because oh. it's not really zombies, it's just um, like a microbial mind control. Yeah, like a fungus thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I find that really fascinating. Ugh, and the sounds they make. Uh... Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. And this is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast, episode 7, Monsters. What do you guys think a monster is? Oh, we're defining monster. I think that the tough thing is distinguishing like what makes a monster different from an enemy. <laughs> because yeah, or a villain, you know, cuz some yeah, like they're not interchangeable. Yeah, a lot of it's it's very easy to get caught up between an, a common NPC and a monster and trying to distinguish between them. So I would I would say that Game of Thrones has lots of monsters, but all of them are human beings. Ooh, but see that well, now we're using more, we're yeah. using the monster term as like a more allegorical villainous. I mean, yeah. it's more literary allegorical than it is like. Because okay. in Dungeons and Dragons, like monsters are, are fairly strictly defined as like monstrosities, like literal creatures. As uh, opposed disagree. to just like, really? I don't think there's there are label... humans in the monster manual. I rest my case, Your Honor. Wait, <laughs> there are? Yeah, in the very back, it's all the human enemies, like bandits and. But that's just stuff. that's just extra stuff. Like they had to add that appendix because people would be mad. I don't think those are monsters. Well, yeah. So I'm just arguing to be flippant, but. Um... I think D&D has a certain type of feel, and that is killing, like you're saying, monstrosities, Beasts. terrifying, beastly, demonic creatures. Because um, it's, it's fun, destroying something ugly. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and scary and threatening. I think there is, and we'll definitely dig into this, uh, but just there is a gray area of like what makes something um, <laughs> uh, conscious. And you know, <laughs> yeah. a lot of goblins and yeah, we talked about that before. The, yeah, are on the on the line. Um, I was gonna say, would you define all monsters as evil or having the evil alignment? No. Whoa, God, that's that's a good question. No, because there's like angels in the book that are. See, for me, I almost I almost want to define monster as anything that you're in combat with. Oh, and maybe that that's a, no. a, a loose definition. Because you could be in combat with anyone and it doesn't turn them into a monster. Like, I don't know. If you go up to like, I mean, the priest and stab him, so, he's not a monster. So the thing is, I. no, but you are. Oh, I have the official definition. So, right? Okay, let's, let's hear the official definition. <clears throat> All right. Okay, yeah. Here is the official definition from the 5th edition monster manual. It says, what is a monster? A monster is defined as any creature that can be interacted with and potentially fought and killed. 
Even something as harmless as a frog or as benevolent as a unicorn is a monster by this definition. The term also applies to humans, elves, dwarfs, and other civilized folk who might be friends or rivals to the player characters. Wow. So that's literally anything. <laughs> it's yeah. literally anything. I mean, it, I think that's too broad. I'm going to I'm gonna be an opponent of that. Because like, I don't know if I would call like an ant a monster. Something as harmless as a frog. Or but if you were the size of an ant, it would be a monster to you. Whoa. All right. So... We're going to bring it back to Mouse Guard, an adventure where you play as tiny mice and the monsters are <laughs> snakes and cockroaches. But yeah, I, unless pl- people, I don't, I didn't know mice were playable races yet, but <laughs> I don't know. That's just a broad definition. I guess I did not know that. I did not look up that definition. No, neither did I. And it's just, it's like. Yeah, I think that definition is just too broad. I guess for me, like monsters are defined by, you know, they're beasts that are usually bad alignment, um, some sort of evil or chaotic alignment that seek out harm upon civilization or upon, uh, you know, normal people. So I don't know. And my definition isn't very good. I just, I don't know. I feel like that that 5e definition is just way too broad because I wouldn't call, you know, a little frog a monster. No, not at all. Um, So kind of going along with what you said, Jake, I think that a monster is something that is monstrous and frightening and and disturbing. Um, There is, so I've mentioned it a number of times already on the podcast, but I find that the Witcher universe is really, really bizarre. So essentially in his mythology, it was a normal planet like Earth. It was a medieval world, just the exact same. And then one day there was this sort of universal collision called the conjunction of the spheres and it brought nightmare monsters into the ecosystem of of earth and so they don't coexist they want to kill and destroy and and they're awful and and it's following the path of history with literally monsters terrifying things that will eat your children and and like cut your head off and and that gives me a great motivation to go out and kill them because they are terrible things that are not of this world who need to be destroyed yeah hmm Interesting. I think for me, I would be tempted to define monster as anything that seeks to do harm to the playable characters. So anything that seeks to either attack or injure or do any sort of social harm even to the the group of people that i'm dming for now i i'm I'm a debater and i like philosophy and i like poking (laughs) holes and things and i feel like each of our (laughs) arguments can be have a million holes poked into it you know like david under your definition like a giant dragon turtle that's not attacking you is is not a monster because it's not harming Um, you directly yet benevolent monsters yeah, and yeah. so, I don't know. Okay, so the bottom line is the term monster is perhaps one of the vaguest words <laughs> uh, in the human, uh, in the English language. So so we are going to loosely define them as a combination of uh, our various definitions um, and go from there because the word is too vague um, or too broad um, depending on where you decide to draw the line. Yeah, I had no idea that this conversation was going to go in this direction, so... I did uh, learned a lot already. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's an interesting one. So what are some types of monsters uh, as far as D&D is concerned? And then uh, since we're kind of already there, as far as you personally are concerned. So 5th edition uh, splits them into different types. And I think is a we can kind of go through each one and go th- kind of talk about our thoughts on each one. So there are aberrations, beasts, celestials, constructs, dragons, Elementals, fey, fiends, giants, humanoids, monstrosities, oozes, plants, and undead. Well, so there are a lot of different there? different ones. Yeah, but I guess everything wow. uh, in Five E can be situated into each of those categories. So let's talk about the first one: aberrations. So aberrations are utterly alien beings. So these are like um, beholders, mind flayers. You know, the kind of Cthulian real scary things so what do you guys think about aberrations do you use them oh yeah i've used uh i just used a beholder in my game on sunday and it was just as terrifying as you would expect yeah i really enjoy aberrations i don't get to use them as often as i would like but i think they're some of the most interesting and potentially horrifying 
of the monsters that you can fight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, aberrations I think are really cool because you can kind of shift the combat perspective to a more um, battle of wills, uh, a more kind of <gasps> intellect, me? Uh, mm. wisdom. Uh, <laughs> Will, did you just say me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, where you can make it less about, you know, martial combat and more about kind of a a mind game. People use those stats as kind of their dump stats. Um, and yeah. mind flayers really can challenge people in those areas who are just beefed up fighters. It almost makes the game more Cthulian in nature with aberrations. Oh, yeah. Just because they, they play on that outer realm horrific type. Cosmic scale. Cos- yeah, cosmic scale fear. And I just realized this while we're talking about it. I think, and I don't know this for sure, so someone will correct me. Um, I think that the aberration category are generally hyper intelligent compared to the rest of the monsters in the book. Um, I know particularly mind flayers are supposed to be genius level creatures. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, variant. Um, I don't even know if it's a, a house rule, but it's an idea that they're so smart that when you get into combat with one, you would have all the players tell you, the GM, what they're going to do that round, and they can't change it uh, because the that aberration oh. is so intelligent he can anticipate literally everything they would do that's fantastic that's I, cool yeah and i want to do that, that but it it'd be uh it would be a challenge but it, i think it could work yeah i mean every mind flare i've used has been just a roaring success mm-hmm. okay so the next uh category is beasts uh, oh, i feel like this one's bread pretty, and butter <laughs> yeah this one's pretty simple i think we can you know these are the things we see in everyday life for the most part you know there are still some fantastic beasts uh, and where to find them? Uh, <laughs> where, where do we find those? Yeah. Rats. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, rats are also beasts. Uh, but beasts, I think, are true. I think beasts are easier to um, conjure up in minds because you know people know what they are. Yeah, they're very familiar mm. and safe. Um, but I think relatable. You could do a lot, I think, with an adventure with beasts. Um, I have this notion of running a like a Russia, like in Siberia in 1800s, and it's a winter time thing, and there's just literally hundreds of wolves that are picking the town apart. I mean, what do you do against just this one enemy type when there's huh. hundreds of them? Oh, that's hmm. cool. Interesting. I think another thing with beasts, um, I think an easy way to make your game a little more um, flavorful um, or just like fantastic, otherworldly, um, is to put dinosaurs um, in the game because dinosaurs are beasts. Oh, um, they're they're considered beasts, but they're a great way to just, you know, make the world more interesting um, and make show, you know, this is not earth that you're playing in unless you're playing in earth. Um, but it's, it, true. It, it's an easy <laughs> it's, way uh, to, to add. It's, it's almost like a, uh, it's fantastic without being overly fantastic. Uh-huh. Um, I would recommend mm-hmm. reading the uh, Dinotopia books. Uh, if you haven't read those already, cause they just have fantastic paintings about people coexisting with dinosaurs. Mm. It's really cool. They'll give you inspiration. I feel like beasts are just great filler creatures just to throw into your game. They can add so much to the environment. They can add so much to things that you can interact with. They're uh-huh. just great all around things that you can just generally add in at pretty much any point in time because they're everywhere. Yeah. That's yeah. I com- I completely agree. I mean, I, right now I'm going through the tube of annihilation campaign and yeah, it's just so nice when they're going through the jungle, you can just toss in some alligators or some hippos or some, you know, gorillas, monkeys, like it's just an easy way to um make traveling through an area more um difficult without, you know, dropping mm-hmm. a mind flare on them, you know, or dropping some some difficult thing. Even makes it more just atmospheric in general if you if you're describing the scenery and and you're seeing these these like alligators and hippos, you know that you're not in the forest. Yeah, you're it's in, a good way to you're like in some swampy area. Yeah. Like it's a great way to define the ecology of your world is to fill mm-hmm. it with with these beasts. Mm-hmm. Next on the list, we have celestials. These are creatures that are native to the upper planes. Think about Greek mythology and their perception of heaven. That's kind of this category. See, I, I imagine these like angels or like um, heralds of of certain uh, gods or goddesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't use these that much. I don't either. I feel like because um, uh, in in the monster manual, they're they're pretty strong. Um, they're defined as like you know real big powerful entities for obvious reasons so it's really hard to you know unless they show up as a quest giver um i haven't really i don't have many celestials in my game it'd be cool to start off an adventure um maybe there's a town 
where every year a celestial angel comes down and gives some great quest. Mm-hmm. So just so the players get this sense of the fantastic early on. Absolutely. You could even run like a Diablo style campaign where Ooh. you are constantly dealing with celestials and there's just the the realms are just merging together almost and you're dealing with all these crazy beings. I feel like that's good for like high level campaigns too. Oh um, yeah. Cuz eventually when you get that point you're essentially godlike at level 20 and so mm-hmm. you're going to have to throw at them, you know, enemies that are also godlike or celestial. So our next one is constructs. Oh baby. I oh. love constructs. Have you used Yeah, them? I think Oh my god, all the time. Yeah. I um in my world there's kind of, you know, the gnomish kind of steampunk technology um <laughs> that started off pretty simple has gotten more advanced. So yeah, I I have um tons of little constructs. Uh yeah, I, a lot of times I'll have them fight, you know, uh automatons um and you know just these things that feel so inhuman because you know they were created not born um and because of that i love it because my players are oftentimes very charismatic and they like you know the social aspect of dnd because they know their mm-hmm. dm loves it um so a lot of times they'll, they'll try to talk their ways out of situations um and there's no way to talk your way out of a situation with a construct because they mm-hmm. don't have the social capacity to interact with you. Um, so it's kind of a, a forced <laughs> combat, you know? Uh, would you play as a construct character? Oh my god, as a Warforged? Absolutely. That sounds what awesome. About, I would love what, to. What about a Modron? Like a, a Pinta Modron? Oh, no, those things have such a complex and like rigid structured lore that I would have to mm-hmm. change them so much that they would no longer be a Modron. Hmm. Yeah. Next on the list, we have dragons. I love dragons. These are probably the most iconic, as it's in the name of D&D. <laughs> <laughs> David, you sounded like you were about to throw up. It's just... <laughs> I think I'm about to throw up after that cheesy line. Um, I'm sorry. No, I mean, as you guys know, I think I'm, I'm the only one of us three that really likes dragons a lot. Like, no, I, no, I like yeah. dragons. I just don't like using them because my parties never get high enough level. Uh, well, yeah, I, I love dragons. Um, like, you know, we, we've talked about dragons ex- extensively in episode two. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, you guys know my thoughts. I love them. Next is elementals, creatures native to the elemental planes. Do we use these? Uh, I think elementals are a pretty common facet of games that I've run. They're pretty pretty good in medium level parties, and they kind of can be fit to any sort of adventure. You just gotta you know throw in a little elemental flavor, maybe some earth or water, and boom, there you go. Yeah, I really like elementals. I mean, I don't think I use them that much, um, but I think they're they feel like a staple of D and D. Um, and so I'll, I'll use them occasionally. I think the most fun I've ever had with one was a, a boss at the end of a dungeon. Um, I think it was in, in Waterdeep in, in the Yawning Portal. Um, but the final boss was an Omnimental, um, or an Omnimental, uh, and it had, it had every type, you know, I think each, each limb was a different, um, element. And that was really cool, oh, really cool. to see them, uh, to see how my players had to kind of take a different approach to each limb. It was pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Fey creatures. What are our thoughts on them? Oh, they're they're weird. I don't know if I've they them are much. weird. I'm not sure I like them because they are um, kind of in line with that old fashioned idea of fairies from you know all of human history. Fairy tales, just yeah. Silly trickster. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't even know. Like, Way the right of explaining words natural phenomenon. Yeah, right. Like this waterfall is here because there's a waterfall fairy that makes it happen. Classic I think I would be. <laughs> I think I would be more inclined to use them if I were to run an adventure in the Feywild because, I mean, that's their home place. Mm -hmm. But I think it would also help to be more acquainted to them so that you could use them in future adventures and kind of just sprinkle them in. But I haven't really done a whole lot with them there's the There's an idea that they will just trick you or screw you over without realizing that they're doing anything wrong. Um, mm. it, it, like in the Hobbit, the book, um, when they're visiting with the elves, they have a really strange experience with them 
and it's to me random and chaotic and not very fun to read and i guess i haven't really wanted to run them because of that so next up is fiends uh fiends include you know like devils and demons um which i actually combine um which is apparently a huge part of the lore is like demons and devils hating each other <laughs> uh but i just i find it much easier to uh not distinguish between the two and just kind of combine them i almost feel like if i was to make my own little monster manual i would probably only have three categories of creature and that is humans elementals and everything else and everything else would probably be kind of demonic huh yeah hmm. interesting because one what, what more do you need like you can subdivide these forever yeah that's humans true. elementals and then fiends i guess beasts have to be included too but and then deities of some sort. Oh, look at David. Just keep going. Oh, David. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I use these a lot. Like, I, I will have demons show up um, quite frequently. Just because they're a, a very... When they show up, there's no um, there's no qualms about uh, their alignment. It's, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. It's like, all right. You yep. know they're bad. Yeah, this is a bad guy. Um, there's mm -hmm. no uh, negotiating with this guy. You know, the old mm -hmm. D&D saying, we don't negotiate with demons. <laughs> it's definitely one of the old sayings. So there was a video game called Neverwinter Nights that I never got to beat. I'm sure lots of our listeners have played and beat the game. But at one point in the game, you find a demon in a cage. And he makes you a bargain. If you let him out, he'll help you later. And I let him out. Hmm. And I have no idea if he comes back to screw you or actually help you. But I love that <laughs> uncertainty. So I've had that uncertainty that's, since I played it uh, like over 10 years ago. That's so great. Okay, mm -hmm. um, so next we have giants. Um, do you guys use giants a lot in your games? I have never used a giant. Yeah, I'm gonna have to say I haven't used them much either. Huh, I think I've used them a little bit. Um, one of my towns in my world um, is kind of a, a town where there's like a treaty between giants and humans. Um, mm. And that's where the Goliath come from. Like they're kind of a half giant, mm -hmm. half human. Um, and yeah, I've used them there, and it's just really interesting to have just essentially a normal human that is just really big. <laughs> like, it's it's yeah. <laughs> so simple, but it changes a lot of the world. Like, like in that city mm -hmm. um, where they're, the giants and humans intermingle, like, all the buildings are just bigger. Um, all the chairs <laughs> are just bigger. Um, every every part about it is just enlarged, and it, it's super interesting to just kind of see that in the world. So I don't use them much, but I think the little I have has been pretty cool. There's a really interesting YouTube channel that I can't think of the name of right now, um, but he looks at fantasy races and he talks about how they would be most effective in a fight. And for giants, I remember he said um, either a bow and arrow because of the amount of force mm -hmm. they can pull, or uh, the best choice was actually a, uh, a sling, like the kind you, you spend in oh, a yeah. centrifuge, uh, because the amount of force you'd be able to generate is, um, is like way more than any siege weapon. Okay, so next up, technically monsters, I guess. <laughs> Humanoids. I guess. Humanoids, mm. um, which are basically any race <laughs> of people you find in D&D. &D, um, well, this this includes monster. goblins as well. Does That's it? That's true. Hobgoblins, yeah. lizard folks, gnolls, orcs, kobolds, bugbears, <laughs> etc. Sounds oh, like that's... a family reunion. <laughs> what? <laughs> Um, that's, yeah, this one is, I mean, I feel like for most of us, this will probably be most of the quote unquote monsters we use are humanoids. Do, do you guys disagree? Mm -hmm. Are you saying that goblins no. are not monsters? No, I, I am <laughs> saying, um, that goblins could technically be monsters. Um, but I think most of the humanoid races, like, it's just weird calling like, you know, a high elf priest, a monster, you know? But do you personally believe a goblin is a monster? Oof. Oh, here you know we go. What? You know what, guys? I'm going to say it. I don't. Oh, I think if they are a playable race, I think you should feel kind of bad killing them. That is my <laughs> my rule of thumb. If you can play you as kind them, of bad. if you if you play as them, like you should feel bad murdering many of them. You know. Oh, I would feel bad. Okay, let me put this in perspective for our audience. Let's say you swat a fly. Okay, so it's easy to kill a bug that's small. You kill a cockroach. But some people really can't even make the jump between killing a cockroach and killing a mouse, even if they're pests. Mm. So they're, as animals size up, it becomes more and more, like, I don't know if morally is the right word, but personally difficult 
to kill them, even a chicken. So this right. this is a a, <laughs> a thing that I've thought about a lot, and that is I feel like um, goblins are too human, and I hmm. want to make them more beastly and more horrible. Huh. Because I actually wrote a blog about why would a goblin need gold? Because you can kill a goblin and they drop money. But having money implies that they have an economy or at least a system of trade. And that makes them kind of people. Mm -hmm. But I think that goblins should be more like giant rats on two legs. Where they (laughs) they just literally, like a raccoon, right? They'll get into your trash and just make a mess. And they have no morals and no ability to comprehend uh, any issue other than their own food. See, I feel like the only reason that goblins have money is because they think it's shiny and they they like to hold on to shiny things. So they're more like monkeys, like a chimpanzee kind of, but like really yeah. violent. Yeah, yeah, that, that's I think that makes sense. Um, I think I think that's why I prefer to use gnolls um, for like low level mm. monsters because gnolls are like they are the embodiment of like chaos and conquest, and they mm-hmm. are evil. You know, there's yeah, no like, absolutely evil. yeah, like they are just, um, I think they're like the remnants of, you know, like the God of war or something like that. Like the, the hyenas that followed him, like eight people and then turned into gnolls, something like that. Yes. Um, oh my God. But yes. like the gnoll, that's why I like to use gnolls more than like goblins or hobgoblins, even though hobgoblins are really cool too. Hobgoblins are cool. Yeah. So it's like the Roman empire, but as a monster race. Yeah. I really <laughs> like their like chain of <laughs> command and like the structure yeah. and the They're really under, uh, under underutilized yeah mm, underutilized is a good term for it all right uh moving on we have monstrosities uh it says and i quote monstrosities are monsters in the strictest sense frightening creatures that are not ordinary not truly natural and almost never benign wow like a minotaur is an example huh mm. so this is something you see and you know it wants to kill you there's no gray area here it's weird because it, it includes in the book it's under monstrosities is an owl bear which I would include more of it as a beast. Well, I think because they're supposed to be an aberration, like this unholy thing that a wizard has made in a lab. Huh. Oh, that's interesting because yeah. the owlbears in my game are are like just part of the ecology. Mm-hmm. So I guess that, that shifts like a monstrosity. Yeah, because when I hear monstrosity, I think like just some... I feel like maybe like a Frankenstein almost oh, yeah. is what a monstrosity would be most akin to. <laughs> For sure. See, that's a good example, but a bad example because... Frankenstein had his own like system of ethics. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Frankenstein and like, the as general, the not the actual. Yeah, something that <laughs> we that must kill this beast. <laughs> and I think I you mean wonder... Frankenstein's monstrosity, David. <laughs> <laughs> I think you could have an adventure about a wizard that's just creating horrible things that are going out into the world and causing mm-hmm. problems, and you have to track them all down. And then you would go beyond Albear, like maybe you have a. Uh, let's say a mouse rat. <laughs> Stop. Oh my I god. I feel like you could use any beast from the uh like Avatar the Last Airbender universe. Like yes. they're all just combinations of animals. Yeah. You can even have like a like a tiger with like a hundred legs, like a scented tiger. Oh, oh, oh David, you you should play that wizard that Will was talking about. <laughs> David is that wizard <laughs> I was talking about. Probably. Okay, so next up are oozes. Do you guys use like gelatinous cubes and these type of oozes? I don't think I have because my I don't really use dungeons and these are kind of a dungeon creature. Oh, that's so sad. Uses are great, but they're like super niche. Yeah. yeah. So they they have very specific ways in which they fit in and they're not always applicable. You can't just throw it in. I feel like you just have to get to craft it to your game. And when you do, they're great. Yeah, I feel like they yeah, when you do craft them right, they're just fantastic. Especially when you describe them right. Like especially mm. like you could just say a, a weird skeleton that looks like it's being held up by a puppeteer strings uh, slowly hovers towards you. Ugh. And you're just like, oh, but then and then slowly like they realize like it's just a skeleton that's encased in like a, a clear gelatinous cube that's slowly moving towards them. Like, oh, that's just so, so interesting and so cool. A lot of these creatures, uh, at least in the ooze category, are made to solve a game design problem inside of dungeons. And I feel, for a lot of these creatures, I feel like I feel that proper consideration has not been made to how they would affect the world. Because if I if I was making a realistic world with gelatinous cubes, I think they would live in the ocean like a jellyfish because they're weightless and they can kind of operate better. Yeah. So maybe the oceans are incredibly dangerous in one world. Hmm. 
No, I think that the oozes just feel so D and D. Like they just feel yeah. so you know first edition. Yeah. Like classic. yeah, for sure. Next we have plants. It says plants in this context are vegetable creatures, not ordinary flora. I, I think I have learned to use plants more after playing Tomb of Annihilation and having my players really? in the jungle of Chult because there's so many more opportunities for you know big giant Venus flytrap monsters that you know can can lurch out of the the underbrush and and suck in a player um you know creeping mm. vines and all sorts of like jungle sprites and stuff like that i think it has really taught me to use plants um in a better way because before i don't think i use plants at all yeah i don't use plants very much but i really want to i think that they have some really cool world building aspects that you can put into them almost having like a forbidden forest yeah plant guardians where it's almost like nature is being incarnated into the the plants around it yeah okay last up are undead do you guys use undead a lot of course i think undead are a staple of any D game almost as much as dragons are huh. oh you can't you can't play D without the undead for real huh interesting um i think for me the undead I, I you know i use them quite a bit as well but i think the issue with me is balance based on how many clerics or paladins are in the party because if you throw a certain number of undead at a party um you know it could be a, the right challenge level for that party but if that party is all paladins then that challenge is nothing. And it's really interesting to have a certain category of monster that, you know, a certain type of magic is so good against because then it makes certain players exceptionally good at fighting this certain monster, which is kind of a weird dynamic you have to take into account when balancing encounters with undead and holy magic. Hmm. But I mean, isn't that the case for any type of monster that certain party members are always going to have some sort of edge versus them? I don't think so. Because if you think of like just like a giant, like there's no like <laughs> secret giant slaying magic that automatically kills. No. You. But like with undead, there is like obviously like paladins can just wreck them. I have a small controversial opinion. I don't think that balance exists in D&D. Or at least it shouldn't. Okay. Wait, why? So I have two points. The first is that the combat rating system in D&D is just kind of a joke. And looking at the history of D&D, I don't think that the game was made to be balanced around giving players this optimum experience that they have a chance of overcoming. I think it's supposed to present you with a variety of different situations that players respond to the ones that they can actually respond to and run away from the rest. Huh. This leads me to a notion that I only just discovered a couple of weeks ago, and that's the idea of combat as war versus combat as sport. What this means is in video games, if you've played really any video game in in the last 15 years, um, you play as a character and you're in the low level zone and you fight enemies that are appropriate for your level and you expect it to be balanced. Uh, D&D, the old game from the 70s, Mm -hmm. was not like that at all. They said, here is a full world and there's enemies of all different levels and when you get treasure in those old systems gold gave you xp so you didn't have to kill things you just had to be clever and get gold Mm -hmm. um it it presented a problem for the players to solve um, because you really want to build situations or manipulate situations in such a way that you can win you don't go into a fight expecting to have like a fun balanced encounter you uh flood the river or you start a fire in the enemy's lair Mm -hmm. or you um I don't know, get a bunch of poisonous plants and make them eat it, right? Like you manipulate the situation so by the time you go in, you've already won. You don't, ideally, you'll never swing a sword, which I think is fascinating. That is. Yeah. So the newer games are are basically combat as sport, is what you're saying? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So combat, combat as war was almost like treating combat as an obstacle to overcome whereas now it's more of a <laughs> it's a part of a professional game. boxing match almost when mm-hmm. you go into combat with combat as sport it's more for the fun of combat i don't know if i like the term combat as sport i i would define it more as i don't know if this is its own third category or if this is kind of under the the sport category but i would define my style of play as like combat as cinema 
Ah, and I would mm. want it. It doesn't matter anything about the fairness of it. it doesn't matter anything about like the war, um, you know, strictness of it. What matters is is this cool to view? Um, and I, I take that view word in two ways. I think if there are people watching the combat in the game, like just like, you know, people who are just um, as a passerby. Yeah. It's just someone as a passerby watching the combat, they would go, Oh, that's cool. Or they would be like, mm-hmm. Whoa, that that's, that's cool. I guess that kind of counts as sport. But also if there's someone watching me as the DM giving the flavor and narrating the the fight um, and the player's actions interacting with each other. If people are listening or viewing that, like in the same room as us playing, they would also be entertained. Wow. So that's, I've tried to do that and it's improved my game significantly. If I pretend people are watching both in the game and in the room with me, like it has just drastically improved my game. And so this leads me to the whole, back to the whole balance thing. I don't think balance matters at all to me. Like I see so many posts on, you know, the D&D subreddit or, you know, D&D Facebook groups or whatever. People are just talking about challenge rating and balancing encounters. For me, I I rarely fudge my dice, but I Mm -hmm. fudge the numbers of monsters all the time. You know, if someone does this amazing corkscrew kick where they land a perfect blow on the snout of the dragon. It's just so cinematic and everyone worked hard for this moment and it's just perfect and beautiful and it just clicks. It doesn't matter how much health that dragon had left, you know, like that dragon dies. Um, And I do that very often. And, you know, I don't do it like if someone does something really cool to start off the encounter, you know, they kill a Tarask because they did a cool slash. No, no, no. It's got to be something that's like very, um, very exciting and awesome and cinematic Mm -hmm. while the monster has, you know, under 25% health, um, then I will just end the monster right there. You know, the the typical Matt Mm -hmm. Mercer, how do you want to do this? You know, I (laughs) I love doing that because I think it it makes the players have more fun. I think it makes me have more fun because combat goes a little quicker. Um, And so I think treating combat as cinema um, has almost made me not answer any of these really complex questions, but just kind of dodge them just kind of avoided them mm, in a way that keeps yeah. the fun going. And and I think that's a very controversial stance that oh, you absolutely. have. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, because I, <laughs> D&D, this, here's another argument that uh, I won't get all the way into, but I don't think D&D really exists as a universal thing. I think it's so different between the different mm-hmm. GMs and the different players and even how you're feeling that night as a group. Um, yeah, and, or and people are drinking for, or not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> and I think that with Jake's group, you have this culture of... Um, almost like cinematography. Um, or, Storytelling. Yeah. yeah, it's much more improv and much more mm-hmm. about making an episode of a TV show than it is about everybody playing a game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so, I mean, I, I would not even say, like, you're doing it wrong because if everybody's having fun, you're doing it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I don't treat this as gospel either because, you know, it works for my group, but I know plenty of groups I've played with, um, especially with, like, younger kids or people who are new to the game, by playing with people who are not necessarily as good at that improv, then the game shifts. You know, it doesn't become combat as cinema anymore. It might become combat as sport. Or, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm playing with a bunch of, you know, mm-hmm. classic video gamers um, who have played the earlier editions, yeah, we're going to make it more combat as war. I think that's the p- biggest part of being a good DM is being adaptable to your players. Like yeah. your goal yeah. is, like you said in an earlier episode, you're kind of hosting a party. And you're trying to cater to the needs of, of your players to make it fun for the whole table. Absolutely. How do you guys best utilize monsters? One of the authors of the Curse of Strahd game was playing in his friend's D&D game. And they were just going through a dungeon and the DM was rolling random encounters and a vampire came out and they fought a vampire. And there was no reason for them to be there. And that guy's frustration is what led to him and his wife writing the curse of strata adventure which is legendary yeah so i think that best utilizing monsters is maximizing their flavor their location and their powers mm. in a way that totally captivates um players as we've we've mentioned in previous episodes our favorite monsters the hag is a great creature because you can build an entire miniature campaign around her and yeah. the same goes mm-hmm. for many other creatures like i mentioned wolves you could do a whole thing with just lots of wolves yeah and yeah and instead of like, oh, you're fighting a goblin now or you're fighting some plant creature, it's all about 
care and attention to detail. Yeah. Also going off that point, I think um, monsters can be used to both elicit a feeling and reinforcing like theme or the tone of a game, much like Mm -hmm. NPCs Mm -hmm. do. Like they are a living, breathing part of the ecology and civilization of your game. um, And they should reflect that. That's why random tables, in my opinion, are better for going through and picking the best one rather than Mm. rolling because you have to pick what fits into your world your dungeon your campaign your forest whatever Mm -hmm. you know because like you were mentioning in that story like a random vampire oftentimes doesn't have a reason to be in the cave in front of you Mm -hmm. Um, and you either got to jump through a lot of narration hooks to give them a reason why or you just kind of flippantly say yeah it's just a vampire kill it um so yeah i think i utilize monsters to like i said reinforce the tone of my game but to mostly elicit a feeling you know, if they see a Tarrasque, I want them to feel dread. Um, <laughs> if they if they see a mimic, I want them to feel, you know, surprise as it reveals itself. Um, if they mm-hmm. see, you know, a mind flayer, um, you know, I want them to feel fear. Um, so mm. I think you can definitely, when you're building an encounter or building a campaign, you go, what do I want my players to feel right now? And then pick a monster that fits to create that feeling. Oh, I like that, that a lot. I love that. This goes along with what we were saying before about um, from Jake's design perspective of combat as cinema. You think, what is the most cinematic creature in this scene right now? Yeah. Yeah. What would what would fit the best? Mm-hmm. And you see, you're not thinking, what would be mathematically balanced to fight four fourth level party members of this class combination? Mm-hmm. You're thinking, mm-hmm. um, I want to horrify or I want to delight or confuse. I have this certain feeling I want to capture and, and what creatures would help me get there. Yeah, absolutely. So a problem for me with monsters in my campaign is oftentimes um, I play with a lot of, you know, very experienced role players um, that Mm -hmm. are good at improvisation, often have very high charisma um, characters. So because of that, they will often um, try to talk their way out of situations uh, and even try to talk their way out of encounters or especially fights with monsters. Um, Do you guys um, find that happening a lot in your games? And like, how do you deal with it? I mean, uh, as a player, I always enjoy trying to talk my way out of an encounter Uh if I can. I know recently there was a beholder that I tried (laughs) to talk to, and let's just say it did not go well. (laughs) You shouldn't try to talk to beholders. But I I don't think that that made, not being able to talk to it made it any less fun. So I think that certain monsters, as long as the behavior is rational and it makes sense it's totally fine for them to just be straight up attacking you yeah this is a big thing that i've discovered with my dming over the past few years and that is the importance of consistency let me say it again the importance (laughs) of consistency so if you have a creature that behaves a certain way it needs to behave that same way every time Nothing drives me crazier than when I'm playing in somebody's game and they say, oh, the Medusa uh, attacks you right away. And then the next time you see Medusa, oh, she wants to talk, right? You're, you're like, well, why didn't, why isn't this the same? Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, no, that's good. Yeah. This, so going kind of back into combat as war, I just feel like there's so many different ways to run D&D and so many different flavors. Uh, I, f- I feel like some of the rules in the game will simply not apply to everyone mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. jake i'm not even sure he's playing fifth edition D. <laughs> I, I don't know at this point either <laughs> <laughs> but whatever he's running like it's working better i guarantee than a lot of people who are using the rules as closely mm-hmm. to the to the rules as they can hmm. so i think it's more important to focus on the spirit of the rules and what they're trying to accomplish than yes actually following the rules themselves yeah i agree yeah David, how would mm-hmm. you optimize monsters for combat? Because I feel like in 5th edition it takes a while. Hmm. So what do you what do you mean by optimize? What are you looking to accomplish? I'm looking to speed up combat uh in almost any way that I can. The average combat for me will take 30 minutes to an hour, but that's around low levels. Mhm. So are you talking about optimizing combat in terms of making it go faster or more smoothly? What are some ways I can speed up combat? That's what I'm really looking for. Um, hmm. So if you want to speed up combat, probably one of the things that you want to have is 
all of the stats easily accessible in front of you. That's probably the number one thing that I can suggest is just being prepared, knowing knowing your stats ahead of time, knowing how the monster is going to interact with the rest of the group. If you're struggling to figure out what to do, you might want to think beforehand what your monster what their characteristics might be in combat. Are they going to go for just the person in front? Are they more intelligent? Maybe they're going to take out a spellcaster. You have to think of these things beforehand so that way you know how to act in-game. You have to have almost a battle plan, Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, Do you guys... I I think one way to speed it up is do you you guys uh, roll for uh, monster damage? No, I just take the average. Yeah, I take the average too. I think that's that's a way to mm-hmm. speed it up. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, I try to find any corners to cut in combat just to uh, to speed it up. Because yeah, I feel like combat, especially with a lot of monsters, especially at higher levels, it mm. just it mm-hmm. can it can take up entire sessions, and it's just like I hate ending a three hour session being like, "Hey guys, what did we do last session?" They'd be like, "Oh yeah, we uh, I think we just were in a fight." And it's like, some owl bears. It's like okay, come on, we. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, I looked at any way to speed up combat that I can, and I think I almost cut so many corners that people would call me a heretic, and some people would say I'm not <laughs> playing D&D. Um, I would say that. Yeah, because I cut so many corners with um, just, you know, I will make their health whatever it needs to be to make it cinematic. Mm-hmm. I will um, edit their spells to do as much damage as I think is fair. Um, yeah, I, I change a lot of stuff, and I, I definitely am heretical from the, the canon of, of the of the monster manual. This is something that's really been on my mind lately. Um, and that is, it's called the OSR. It's old school Renaissance. Depending on who you ask, they'll have a different <laughs> I have to, disclaimer. OSR might not mean old school Renaissance. Anyway, the speed of combat is incredibly fast because there's very few things to track. However, the, uh, the, the pendulum swings back and that means that combat really doesn't have as many options or choices. Mm-hmm. And so it appeals to me as a DM because I just don't want to track every poison condition and 300 hit points and all this and that. Um, but then I know my players really dig that crunchy, uh, almost video gamey skill system. Because yeah. say what you will about 5e, it's great with character progression. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would agree. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's hilarious. Oftentimes, um, I think the question I ask most that my, my players are probably sick and tired of me asking is what's your armor class because i just mm. i don't it's just something i don't keep track of i don't like i i don't you know because there's just so much stuff you know my mind is so filled with the plot and the cinematic nature of it and mm. at the timing of things what's going to pop out at what time to provide the maximum uh, elicited emotion that i want that yeah yeah Oftentimes, there's no room for simple things like armor <laughs> class or what spells they have and stuff like that. Something that mm-hmm. I saw online was um, delegation. And what I started doing is that the first time they successfully hit a monster, I tell them the armor class. And they ah. write it down on the dry erase mat. And then uh, the first time they deal damage, also, I tell them, here's how much health they have. Weird. And, and I leave the players in charge of tracking Weird. all the health and, and all that stuff. And it just, it takes a lot off of my plate. So I focus on doing uh, sort of role playing the monster. Like what would they do oh, given the situation? That, and they, mm. and the players eagerly um, take up that work of the bookkeeping because they want to make sure yeah. that every hit point is accounted for. That's incredible. Whereas, <laughs> like I, I don't, I guess I, I am, there is still room for me to, to declutter that a little bit. Cause I guess for me, I never tell them the armor class mm-hmm. and I never tell them how much health they have left. Oh yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't. I don't like saying the HP because I like to, like this is gonna sound bad, but I like to fudge the numbers a little on the HP. Yeah, that's the depending other side upon of it, it. Is that you can't fudge it if they know exactly how mm-hmm. much is left? That's true. That it's, that, that kind of eliminates my cinematic thing. If they land a really cool killing blow and they do the math and there's one health left, mm-hmm. then I mean, well, the, the solution for that is you just count up, and so you know the total, mm-hmm. and then you can see like the the current total oh, damage. I guess that makes sense. Oh. Too. That's yeah. interesting. I might All use right. that. That's really that's really it, cool. That's it's, smart. It's really improved my uh, combat experience, for sure. especially as a person who's terrible at math. So, mm-hmm. what are some ways that you guys have scaled monsters up or down? Like, what are some th- some numbers you can change, like in the stat blocks, to make monsters uh, more scary or more powerful, <laughs> or make them easier to kill? So i I have some heresies to uh, confess. 
Okay. <laughs> Come, my child. So Confess. there's there's no such thing as balance in D and D. All you do is you mm. take, let's say, a um, I don't know, a goblin, and you want to make a boss goblin. Go and find a monster in the book that that is roughly like the toughness you want, and you just paste hit that armor class and that huh. damage onto a goblin, and you're done. Mm. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> that's I helpful. think that oh, if to simply just increase the AC to increase the health and to increase the damage that you deal is kind of a boring way to scale monsters up and down. I think putting more of their power into their unique characteristics is what really makes monsters more interesting to me. Yeah. So having let's say a Medusa, you want to you want to focus on the paralyzing aspects of her gaze more so than you would want to increase the HP in order to make it more scary. No, I love that. Yeah, because it increases the, what, the thing about the Medusa that makes it a Medusa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it increases just the identity of it and it makes it more scary, but it doesn't necessarily make it harder. And you can always, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to add a few HP to make it a little tougher so the, the, the experience of combat lasts a little more longer, then you can right. always do that. So yeah. I agree, but I also disagree. Um, like I agree that you want to capture that flavor and just kind of amplify that to a higher level. Mm-hmm. Like maybe instead of paralyzing one person a turn, she's paralyzing all of them and they're all making saves. But yeah. I think you do need to raise just the core stats. Otherwise, it won't last a round. Sure. And that sucks. Mm-hmm. Huh. I think I think for me, you know, kind of I'm going to kind of side with David over Will on this. Like I want combat to in general go quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, going back to what we we're talking about, ways to, to speed up combat. Whenever I buff up a monster, I, I rarely buff its hit points or its armor class. Mm-hmm. What I buff is just the amount of damage it does um, mm-hmm. because that makes the encounter more scary. Uh, but it mm-hmm. doesn't make the encounter longer. Um, and so, you know, rarely, you know, I, I'm dealing with mostly pretty high level players. I probably couldn't do this, you know, when they're below level three, um, because, you know, at that point, if you scale up the damage, you can just start one hitting people. Um, yeah. but I wanted to do damage that scares them. Um, cause especially if you have Ooh, a healer yeah. in the group, you know, if it does damage and they just go, okay, that's fine. I can lay on hands that next turn. That's mm-hmm. not how combat should be. It should be like, oh my God, like, oh, we got it. We got to do something about this. We either got to run or kill this thing quick. Like combat should mm-hmm. be not like a kind of like sport. I don't think it should be like sport because that makes it sound like combat is something that's fun to be mm-hmm. in. Fun. It's more of like a challenge. It's not. It's not necessarily difficult because you can leave if it's sport. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, say time out, guys. Time I'm out of here. Yeah. No. <laughs> you got to make the stakes high enough, and I think just upping the damage is the way that I do that. You know, the quickest and easiest. I think the I think the problem with just increasing the armor class and HP just it turns the combat into a wet noodle fight where you're just like you're hitting each other with pool noodles and nothing's really happening. You're just kind of slowly decreasing arbitrary numbers. And I'd rather have a fight with like real like people are actually getting hurt. They're getting stabbed with real swords where you can you can kind of see people bleed rather than just kind of gently jabbing each other. Yeah, if we're absolutely. talking about fifth edition though, like. That's the game. Like, it inflates. And actually, so in mm-hmm. spite of what I'm saying about increasing stats, that's the solutions I have to use because of the system that we're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. In a perfect world, I would be running some old school game where the combat is fast and deadly, like you're mm-hmm. saying, like because it matters. Um, the example that I saw just today was in 5th edition D&D, your character goes from nobody, like, well, really, he goes from a hero into Superman. Like, he just turns into a god. Mm-hmm. In, in the old school D&D, they go from a nobody into Batman. There's a big <laughs> difference. Because mm-hmm. you're you're not really any better at punching stuff, but you have tools in your belt, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you have different yeah. options for approaching situations. And I freaking love that. No, that, that's, that is really cool. I think in general, though, I don't know. I think you mentioned, like, that you've had players wipe bosses before they can even make a turn. Yes. I've never had that happen to me. I mean, first off, because if that happened, I would just d- triple its health. You know, like that just seems. Uh, but that no violates fun. the consistency, Jake. Consistency. 
Well, I don't know. I'm fine with fudging numbers to make it more cinematic. And I'll take my C word over your C word anytime. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So the last, uh, the last question kind of to round this all off. Um, there's kind of three tiers of enemies um, that, that I could think of. They're kind of the low level, not very challenging enemies. They're kind of the mid level. These are the semi challenging, almost, you know, deadly monsters. And then there are the high level, like dangerous, terrifying monsters. What is your favorite? Uh, I guess we'll go through all three of the levels, which starting off, what's your favorite low level, like easy monsters? I think any sort of goblin or zombie, just simple horde type creature is great at low levels because it it provides just a, a lot of just general enemy to fight. Uh-huh. A lot of, I think early on it's for me the way I like to do campaigns is I like to have some sort of just generic mass enemy that you're fighting and then to slowly kind of warp the enemies later on from being a very numbers based group of people to harder difficulties as you get higher of singular creatures yeah <laughs> so early on yeah goblin zombies i think that the monsters need to enforce the story that you're telling and mm-hmm. so mm. uh, maybe my answer is going to be all three at once but i think that uh you want to have like david saying that goblins or the kobolds or um just some low level threat that's sort of on the ground but as you get higher in D D, you, you really approach godhood and so mm-hmm. by the time you're mid-level, I would like to see those celestials coming down, maybe um, even a few demons, whatever. Like it's, it gets stranger to enforce that flavor. And then by the time you're at the highest levels, you know, you're ripping stars out of space and uh, traveling through time. Oh. <laughs> this conversation went in a different direction than I was thinking. <laughs> I was just going to ask, what's your favorite low-level monster? Then mid-level, then high. And you guys went very uh not specific <laughs> <laughs> well i mean the truth is like i don't often get to the mid or high levels because uh it just goes away people go to college or uh oh gosh don't toy story three me <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute am i am i woody oh, no <laughs> um i guess i can be specific on each of these tiers i think for me uh i like knolls as low-level uh, monsters because they're so um, evil and they're fun to role-play. It's like hyena dog people, you know? It's like, <laughs> just like, like savage, ravenous dog people. You feel just, no guilt like, for killing them. Exactly, yeah. There's no ethical um, considerations. Uh, they are, you know, evil incarnate um, in little, gross, mangy dog forms. Um, so I, f- I find gnolls are really good for, for lower-level Mid-level, I think my favorite monster to use is um, a chain devil. Um, It basically Mm, looks like a mummy, um, but instead of being wrapped in cloth, it's wrapped in chains. Um, And it can fling these chains out um, and kind of lift them and hover them and swing them. And it's so, so effective in a listing, like just a fear of a demon response. You know, because it's just flinging all these chains at you, and there's so many opportunities mm-hmm. to grapple um, and to interact with it in a way that I love using the chain devil. And then I think high level, my favorite would be either, like I said, a dragon. That's always fun. Uh, or I really like hydras, um, especially scaled up hydras that aren't necessarily, um, mm. you know, because hydras can technically be about mid level. Um, but like yeah. hydras, I really like as like as bosses. What about you guys? Do you guys have any specific mid or mid or high level monsters that you really gravitate towards? For mid level, I really like illithids, mm-hmm. otherwise known as mind flares. I think oh. they're just—I don't know why. I just think I love the the Cthulian aspect of the creatures being a very mind focused challenge rather than a just a physical combat heavy challenge it kind of changes things up mm-hmm. compared to purely focusing on physical domination there's a lot of it, it changes the game into a more mental aspect as well and even magical and then for high level probably i think dragons are just the classic high level great just creature to throw in there for a a challenge what about you will i know you don't normally get to mid or high level but what what are some that you would love you know be a dream to run 
for mid-levels, I would go with just a whole bunch of orcs. I think there's four uh-huh. or five different types of them uh, mm-hmm. across all, all these challenge ratings. And for me, it's just more fun to have these... I don't want to say mass combats, but these larger combats with a lot of kind of cannon fodder enemies backed up by uh, things that support them. Uh, I think it's more tactical because so many times I've thrown one big enemy at the players and it just literally gets locked down in, in a spot and then everybody wails on it until it dies. Huh. It's, it's just really flat and within the rules, which I try to be uh, consistent about, um, they they had a totally Cinema! fair encounter. <laughs> yeah. Everybody take a drink. He said it again. Um, but as for the high level stuff, um, I would love to have just a whole bunch of beholders, uh, illithids, mm. mine, you know, what my players, whatever. I'm actually looking at a encounter generator and seeing what comes out um, at the high just, level. Yeah, at level twenty, like um, desert, right? And it's talking about giants, and dragons, and ifrits, and um, it, like I don't know, sphinxes, just, probably. Oh yeah, it's just a mess, and it's great. Yeah, um, like this one, eleven f- uh, air elementals at the same time. That's fantastic. <laughs> eleven air. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really want to try a, just a level twenty one shot. Um, I've got a few players in my group that are just dying to try it out because they know with me I'm never gonna you know let them get that high with their normal characters because it's hard to role play when you're a god. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So I'd love to just do a one shot and kind of test uh, how the game breaks down or holds up uh, with just super high level, beefy, powerful monsters. David and I actually tested out a system for weapon enchanting that I was trying to create. And I think we only had like level five NPCs of just various classes. And mm-hmm. uh, we enchanted their weapons and I made him fight an adult black dragon and he killed it in two rounds. And they were, that's how I learned that uh, A, David is a min-maxer to the extreme, and B, that my enchanting system was so overpowered, it was completely unusable. (laughs) That's great. Okay, let's go to the vault. What is your guys' favorite one-shot adventure that you've ran or played in? Oh, I got mine. Uh, This was... For a long time, I played the Savage World system. This was the last mm-hmm. time I ever ran it. Um, this it was loosely based on Warhammer Forty Thousand, but just sort of without the. It was with the, It was based on Warhammer Forty Thousand, but with the serial numbers filed off, so I could just <laughs> do whatever I wanted. The players played as a pre-made group of Marines going onto a derelict space station that was adrift, kind of dead space esque, and uh, they were unraveling the mystery of what happened. And to and. There was a rogue AI. And Wait, I played stuff. in this game. Yes, you did. Oh my yeah, god, so yeah, that did one I. was amazing. Oh, that one was, was so good. It was so fun. Like, every little moment of it just worked out perfectly. In spite of, you know, I, I couldn't have planned it to go better. And that was my favorite one shot. Oh, that's, yeah. Dang it, that would be mine. <laughs> like, <laughs> I totally forgot. That was a while ago, but that one was super great. Like, that rogue AI was like, oh. what? A, yeah, that was a great one. I think for me, uh... Probably, I had a friend in college who, uh, for Halloween, really wanted to run uh, Call of Cthulhu. And mm. I had never played before, and so I was super excited for it. So um, he had this ad- adventure, um, and what we did, we played as ourselves, me and the guys that I lived with in college. And what we did is we all raided each other's skills in the Call of Cthulhu <laughs> system and took the average, and then that was our skill. Um, wow. In each of the skills. So it was really funny raiding each other's skills. Um, and then we had our characters that were just literally us. Uh, and we we were playing in our town, like in the city we were in. And so it was just crazy, like what happened when it was actually us. And you kind of felt fear as who you are. Um, and the DM <laughs> was playing um, really creepy music. And the whole plot involved a, an ice cream man that would go out at night and just the idea of an ice cream truck at night, like is horrifying. Um, and yeah. I just remember literally getting chills on my spine uh, with some of the, the creepy music mixed with, you know, the, the, the sound of an ice cream truck in the dead of night. Uh, oh, it oh it was gosh. a really creepy one shot. And that, that's probably my favorite for sure. Wow. David, it's hard to pick. One of them isn't a one shot, but it's it's like a two or three shot if that counts. Disqualified. Uh, so it, it was 
we were on a essentially battle royale on the moon. <laughs> uh, I, I I don't remember uh, what character I played, but we were fighting all these different like crazy teams, and probably one of the most memorable NPCs was a character named Allison Doggins, who <laughs> was just a hot dog in a mohair sweater, and. <laughs> god yuck and i I just it was it was probably one of the most unique games that i played in and it was really fun oh (laughs) these are these are great one shots are just a great time to try out new things i think absolutely Mm -hmm. thank you for listening to vox arcana episode 7 i'm william i'm jake and i'm david we'll see you next time